Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris, and I'm just so glad you're here. This podcast is designed to dig below the surface and to hold space for meaningful conversations. We're going to talk about life and love and basically everything in between. This is a place where done is better than perfect, where quality triumphs quantity, and where you can really just come as you are. So go ahead and leave that Superman cape of having it all together at the door because life is freaking messy. Don't I know it, y'all? Now, not only are we going to be real, we're going to have fun too. Scout's honor. I promise you this. I will find any excuse to bring up Beyonce or the latest episode of The Bachelorette. So if you're a new friend, you are so welcome. And before we get started, pause and make sure you're subscribed to the Refined Collective Podcast on iTunes so that each week when a new episode drops, it'll download straight to those devices. And if you're an old friend, um, welcome back. Hi there. I already know you're all subscribed and good to go, but would you do me a quick favor? Hop on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and written review. I would be incredibly grateful for that. Now, I used to feel like all weird and awkward about asking you to do this, but then I listened to Oprah's podcast and even she asks her listeners to do it. In the podcast world, those subscribes and ratings and reviews really, really help us. So thank you in advance. You are the best. Finally, if something stands out to you in this episode, find me on Instagram at The Refined Woman or my podcast specific account at The Refined Collective and send me a message. I would absolutely love to hear from you. All right, let's go ahead and get to it. You can never say, do, or be the wrong thing to the right person. You get Montesino Rodriguez said that in our interview today, and she said a lot of things that stopped me in my tracks, but that one in particular just sort of hit my heartstrings, especially as a single woman so often. And we talk about this in today's episode. I have that struggle of like, I feel too much or I feel not enough, or did I say the wrong thing? And I love Huguette's heart because what she says is true because underneath that is I cannot mess up God's plan for my life. And so I just want to encourage you with that. And as we dive into Huguette's episode, you might be wondering what we're going to talk about, but you probably already know because of the title is married sex, better sex. I could not wait to dive into this question. Huguette wasn't is the perfect person to have this conversation with. She's so grounded and rooted in truth and also so free in her own story. So I can't wait for you to get to know her a little bit better. And before we dive in, who she is, is she is the CEO of Dysfunction Magazine, which is a women's magazine and international movement dedicated to encourage and educate on the power of resilience, mindset, and radical joy as a result of spiritual freedom. As a university educator for over five years and a life and business coach, Huguette has worked with thousands of women worldwide, as well as spoken at numerous conferences, retreats, and summits, spreading her message on the importance of enjoying a delicious life as we move from fear to freedom. Huguette is currently working on a book and will soon be releasing The Radical Woman Blueprint, a program guiding women via the mind, heart, spirit spheres into the actualization of their God-given visions without fear and shame. 
So Homegirl is basically up to some really incredible things. And if you want to follow along with what she is up to, find her at dysfunctionmagazine.com. Dysfunction is spelled D-I-S-F-U-N-K-S-H-I-O-N. So it's like funky in the middle of Dysfunction Magazine. And her Instagram is at dysfunctionmag. So let's get into today's topic. Is married sex better sex? Welcome to the Refined Collective Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Harris. And today I have a dear friend with me, not in person. We are, she's on the, I feel like the literal other side of the world than me, but dear friend, Huguet Montesinos Rodriguez, the CEO of Dysfunction Magazine. And girl, I'm so happy that we're finally doing this. Me too. I'm so honored to be here and share this space with you. And although I'm in Hawaii, I feel like we're just always on the same wavelength and we're just doing life together on so many levels. Yes. And I have to be honest with you. So you are real life, the most colorful person I've (laughs) ever met. Like when I remember we met our friend Johan, our friend Johan connected us, I think years ago, like must, it must, must be over 10 years ago. Yes. And I remember looking at your Instagram and thinking, there's no way she like dresses like that in real life. (laughs) (laughs) Oh girl, let me tell you. (laughs) And then I met you and I was like, oh my gosh, you got his real life, the most fabulous person I've ever met. (laughs) Oh, well, thank you. I think it has a lot to do with my Latina jeans and (laughs) the vibrant, crazy colors all the time. And I'm sort of a little walking pinata party, but yeah, I enjoy (laughs) color for sure. (laughs) And now your daughter is like the second most colorful person that I know. (laughs) She's a little mini pinata. I love it. And here I am in New York. I'm literally wearing all black right now. And I'm like, I don't know if I can wear navy blue. It kind of feels like a lot of color. Too much color right now. But then again, that's your sexy, cool, chic New York vibe. So I love that too. (laughs) So, okay. Tell me about okay, where did, where did your fashion inspiration come from? Like, I, I mean, everything you've done with Dysfunction Magazine is so beautiful. And obviously colorful, but have you always been just like this beautiful walking bright brightness? <laughs> uh, you know, I believe that I have always been very colorful by nature. And I think it's kind of passed down from my mom because even though my mom's the most monochromatic person though. I mean, she's really colorful, but she'll be like yellow from head to toe, even matching her underwear and her eyeshadow. Oh my gosh. But it's just one of those things where color just runs in our family. It runs in our blood. Um, And then I think one of the things that has really influenced not only my style, but just the things that I'm naturally... inclined to is just the fact that I've been traveling since I was a month old. So I've always wow. been fascinated by world culture, by artisanal craft. And so, you know, when it comes to all the things that I love to surround myself with or wear or even include in the magazine aesthetic, it's all inspired mm. by world culture. So that mm. that's the beginning of it all. And that that definitely just comes across in everything you do and who you are. And and I think it's just such a beautiful expression of how God made you too. I mean, you you in person and online. And I've I've said this before on the podcast, but I think it's always worth really mentioning when you have this like online presence, you have like a gazillion followers on Instagram, you have this successful brand, you have this beautiful magazine. And sometimes when you meet someone like that in real life, at least for me, I'm like, oh, you're not really that person. Yeah. But like you really are. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's kind of interesting because even here in Hawaii, you know, people are very chill, uh, you know, wearing like flip flops, you know, the whole surfer vibe. And literally I walk down the street and everyone thinks I'm a tourist. I mean, granted, I know a lot of the people here and, you know, like all my, my local friends and my neighbors, but a lot of people are just like thinking I'm a tourist, especially with everything that's going on right now. And just like yeah. stay in your rooms. And so it's kind of funny, but yeah, I mean, I think not only the way I dress, but, um, just being able to show up on social media and on digital platforms, one of my, mottos is show up the way I would with a girlfriend for coffee mm -hmm. or for dinner, because I think it's really difficult for us to sometimes connect with people or to even understand what real life is versus the digital sphere. And we get really afraid of showing up as ourselves. Yes. But instead of thinking, how do I want to show up? I mm -hmm. think, how do I want other people to feel when they show up to my cyberspace mm -hmm. and they connect with me? That's so good. And I was scrolling your Instagram recently and you said something you said, don't ever let the fear of how you'll be perceived influence the power of your heavenly design and calling. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I just think, man, fear just tries to steal who we are. Yeah. And yeah. it just keeps us so small. And what, what is that like? Like what fears do you have? Like, cause I see you and I'm like, oh my gosh, Huka is like the most confident person <laughs> I've ever met. You're so genuine. You don't know a stranger. You literally talk to everyone, even on your IG stories today, you're doing your IG story. And then someone walks by and you're like, oh, Hey, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> what are I, cause like, what are those insecurities for you? Cause to me, I'm like, oh my gosh, Huka is just this powerhouse. Yeah, you know, I think I probably struggle with one of the main things that most women struggle with, which is really embracing who you are unapologetically. And I think it's kind of a daily, sometimes hourly, sometimes minute by minute struggle. And some days are easier than others. You know, I would say whenever I'm most connected to God, I have less of those insecurities. But whenever I go through windows where I feel like God has been missing for a little bit, that's when I'm really in that pit. So I think it, one, is contingent upon my time where I'm seeking my identity mm -hmm. in the right mirror, right? Whether it's the mirror of the word or the mirror of my reflection. And so I think that makes a really big difference. But I would say that most of the time, the insecurity comes into a space of, am I too much? Because I've always been too much of something, too colorful, too outspoken, too vibrant, too this. And particularly when I started uh, in the fashion industry and styling and doing all the things in the creative sphere, I was too much. You know, fashion has always had these boundaries and it's always had these standards and these protocols. And I never fit into those protocols and those standards. And so yeah. I think there's always been a fear of, having to dim myself or having to uh, become a little more neutral so that I fit, a, fit in a little bit more. And so I think in this time, um, when it comes to the social media world and all that, it's really reminding myself, I am exactly the way God intended me to be. So who am I to say to God, no, I need to dim this down or I need to water this down a little bit because it's mm -hmm. too much. That's like an offense to God. And so when I think about it that yeah. way, I realize, you know what? I don't need to fight or argue with God about his creation. I need to simply yeah. accept that and appreciate it. Yeah. That's so good. And it's convicting and challenging me so much because I have had this narrative the last few days, just processing some guy scenarios, relationship scenarios with some of my friends. And what I have felt is I feel like the enemy is always trying to tell me that I'm too much. Mm. And when I sit down and think about it, I'm like, I know I'm not too much, 
But I know that I talk about really hard things, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's if I if it's me talking about sexuality, desire, dating, singleness, and I feel like I've just always been this way, just always been the one to you know have the hard conversations. Mm-hmm. And I was in a social setting recently where I was talking with a group of my guy friends about this. And it was like five to one. And I'm like, you know, I feel confident when I believe here, I feel assured. And then this guy that I kind of was crushing on came up to the conversation, heard what we were talking about and kind of turned on his heels and walked away. And in that moment, I just felt like, gosh, I wish I could just be the type of girl that like kept her mouth shut sometimes. Mm. And I felt too much in that moment, or I felt like my thoughts were too much in that moment. And in processing that post, that scenario, I feel like what I said to my friend was like, I know I'm not too much, but sometimes I doubt if there's a guy who can handle me. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if that makes sense, but I think where I feel like challenging what you're saying is like, it's like when I'm in a solid place with God, it's like, I know that I'm not too much, but then that insecurity has been like creeping in, in the past like week or so of like, you know, when you meet those girls who are just like agreeable and kind, yep. <laughs> I'm like, here, I, wal- I waltz into the room, metaphorically a pinata <laughs> and I'm just shaking like things up. And there's been times where I felt like, man, I wonder if there really is a guy out there that is not going to think that's too much. Well, you know, it's funny that you say that because I remember during the season after my divorce, when I was even considering dating again and just sort of wanting, uh, you know, to believe that there was in fact someone for me. And I'll never forget that God gave me this very clear message and just downloaded it so heavy onto my heart. And it was that you can never say, do, or be the wrong thing to the right person. And it just hit me Mm. so hard. All of a sudden I was like, wait a minute, because there is no wrong you can do. Like if you say something that feels like it's too much, if you show up in a way that feels like it's too much, it'll never be the wrong thing to the right person. And I think that we can apply that to not just love and romantic relationships, but we can apply that to the ministries that we're getting involved in, the career choices that we make, because we're so worried, will people receive it like this? Is it going to be accepted? Is it going to, you know, and so when we start to understand that was what's ours already has our name on it, we don't, one, we don't need to hustle for it so hard. And two, we don't need to shrink back from who we actually are to receive it and to be acceptable for it and to be the right fit. That is definitely a word for me. And even so just for example, I for so long was really, really scared to come out with my podcast. I did a two two part podcast series on masturbation. And (laughs) I saw that recently. (laughs) I was like, uh, you, if you would have told me a year ago, I would have been doing a podcast series on that. I would have laughed in your face. (laughs) (laughs) Like, no, I'm not your girl. But I just knew for a long time that I was supposed to have a conversation about it. And I put it off, you got for maybe six months because I felt so afraid of being taken out of context Mm -hmm. of people misinterpreting my heart of putting putting myself out there in that way. And then I also believed this lie that people only listen to my podcast if I have on quote unquote, really big or popular guests. Mm. And so I felt like, Oh, I don't want to do a solo show because no one's going to listen to it. And I'm talking about this really hard thing and I'm scared of what people are going to think of me. And yet lo and behold, and it, it like 
broke all the records of all any podcast episode that I've ever gone live with. We broke the top 75 on iTunes charts. Wow. And it was just this like moment of like realization of even just what you said when you're doing kind of what you're supposed to be doing. It's like you can work hard, but I couldn't have strategized those numbers. And I'm like a strategy girl. And I know you are too. And I'm always like, okay, how can I make the most of this thing? How can I, you know, promote it? Well, and it was like, I didn't pretty much do anything but press live. And that was the story that unfolded. Right. And you know, there's something really powerful about that because I feel like in the spiritual sphere, the enemy's always going to make the taboo continue like perpetuated into a taboo space. And so, like you said, there's some, there's these hard conversations that you like to have that maybe for most people is unthinkable, but for you is sort of your natural autopilot, um, sort of default mode. And mm-hmm. so that's where you're going to get the most attack, right? Don't share those topics. Don't talk about mm-hmm. that. That's not acceptable. That is not what you do. And so the moment you free yourself, the moment you allow yourself to step into the freedom of who Mm -hmm. God created you to be and exactly operate in that mode, you start to see how God just opens up all these paths and all these doorways to the things that you know, you know, exist somewhere, but the fear always keeps you stuck on the other side of that door. And so that is just a really powerful example. And once again, a testimony of how stepping into that godly freedom and not letting what the fear of perception lead your next step. Yeah. Oh, that's so good, Hugot. And even just in that, I would love to kind of open up a conversation about your story. Um, because like every single person, your story isn't linear. And you know, you have this beautiful little baby. And you have this like sweet marriage. Um, but you like you're past, you know, you already said like you've been divorced, you're remarried. And I would just love to hear what that story was like for you. Like what how did you what was the path to your first marriage? How did it break down? And yeah. how did you get to where you're at today? Sure. Uh, So I was married to my high school sweetheart. So we met back in high school um, early on and knew each other um, for a total of 13 years by the time that we ended up getting divorced. Um, But it, you know, it was a very sweet relationship. We sort of went our separate ways after high school. He joined the military and I was kind of wanting to go to college and all that jazz. Three, uh, three years later, we reconnected on, um, social media as well. MySpace. Anybody remember MySpace? <laughs> oh my gosh, you guys can do MySpace. That's so oh, that was the jam back then. Um, <laughs> and so we, we reconnected. And during that time, you know, it just felt like sparks flew. There was definitely some unfinished business there. And so we got together. He was in the military. He was already living here in Hawaii. And we were like, yes, we love each other. You know, that young love. And turns out we get married and into, I would say about nine months into our marriage, I discover some really painful and difficult things. He was struggling with pornography addiction and some sexual addictions. And that was really heartbreaking for me because as it is, my father was never really around. So I had a lot of identity issues around male Mm -hmm. roles. I had no proper um, examples of that in my life. And so I think for me, a sense of belonging and safety were really um, 
primordial and I didn't really have that. And so when this started to happen, I started to have a lot of insecurity and then that just kind of continued to scale. He also had a lot of um, anger issues from childhood and some traumas that he had experienced. So started getting violent. And so it just turned into a really difficult season in my life. And at the time I had just started to get to know God. So I had welcomed God into my life maybe like a few months before getting into this marriage. Now I can definitely tell you so many stories on how God started to give me red flags as to why this wasn't the person for me, but because I didn't have that maturity in my faith, I wasn't keen as to what exactly God was telling me or if I even was following the voice of God. So Anyway, uh, fast forward that, um, you know, three years later, we're getting divorced. It was one of the most painful, difficult seasons of my entire life. But I can honestly tell you, it was literally the glue that brought me to my knees and that just attached me to God's hip like nothing else in my life. Um, For the first time, I was away from everything and everyone I knew. So I was living in Hawaii because he was stationed here. So I was away from everyone I loved, everyone I trusted, which was really my mother, my grandmother, we've always been a very tight unit. And I just had to basically fend for myself and God was all I had. And so in that season, I started to really basically pick up the pieces. And so it was a a mosaic in the spiritual sphere. And it was like, all right, Lord, I need your help. I need to rediscover who I am, but this time in your way. But I can honestly tell you that that season, I was, it was about five years of singleness, uh, post-divorce, that was really hard because you go from building a life and a future and having your entire future set up, quote unquote, or secured to all of a sudden your entire foundation, not only being shaken, but being completely destroyed. So there's absolutely no concept of future. There is no concept of hope. There is no concept of will there be love again because you're so heartbroken and so mm-hmm. so much in pain, especially after 13 years. This was also wow. the person that I lost my virginity to, whom I experienced mm-hmm. so many things sexually intimately for the first time with. And so there were so many spirit ties, physical ties, everything you can think of. So mm-hmm. it, during that time, it was almost impossible for me to conceive of, of an idea of a future or a future marriage. So that was a lot of the time that God had to do some work. Um, I did go through a few uh, relationships, dated a few different guys and got to know, you know, guys in the church. Guys. But then I also struggled with this one big thing was mm-hmm. most of the guys I met in church or in the church sphere were really weird to me. I was just like, they're, they're creepers. You know? <laughs> like, I was very honest. I was like, they're, they're either really creepy and weird or too churchy or too this, or then they're in the world and then they don't know God and they're not interested in a relationship with God. So even that kind of put me in a really weird space where it was hard for me to once again, believe that God had this wonderful man that would be everything that I would need. And so I started mm-hmm. to think, I started to really look inside and God, I'll never forget God reminding me, you get, I created you in this way. So you're really funky and you're sort of worldly in a lot of ways, but you're also so deeply in love with me and so mm. connected to me. What makes you think that I can't have a man that is designed in a similar way that would compliment you? And so I remember that was really eye-opening for me because I think very rarely do we look at ourselves to be like, yeah, well, I guess if I exist, there has to be somebody similar to me, right? Uh, we're always kind of looking outside. And so in that moment, God said, I, I need you to look inside for a minute and I need you to have a more intimate time with me versus looking at what's available outside. And so that was a really eye-opening moment for me um, to really say, okay, I think I'm getting to a place where I can actually believe and trust that God would have something like that for me. But it was still hard for me to sort of have a placement there, you know, for that hopeful placement. 
Yeah. So, so anyway, you know, fast forward that five years later, um, I, I've dated a few people, but I entered this relationship that almost felt extremely emotionally excruciating. And it was the shortest relationship I'd had, which I would say was about two months. I don't even know if you can really call it a relationship because the guy was actually really flaky and would sort of hang out and then, you know, text me and then not text me and then ask me to go to dinner and then not show up again. So it was just like this really weird emotional tug of war. And I know that for the first time during that, it was the, it was the shortest one, but yet the one that made me take the quickest action. And I remember by that time, I remember feeling this cannot possibly be the peace of God. This cannot possibly be the kind of relationship that God would have for me. Because even though the guy looked really good on paper, I mean, he was like a worship leader and was basically all these things that I knew that I wanted. And I had even prayed about, I was like, Lord, I want, you know, my husband to have this, this, this. And he would almost like say those things which is kind of interesting how the enemy works sometimes because he also knows what those things are for you and will make that person look really attractive in so many different ways. But I specifically remember that it was very clear, this is not the peace of God. And as much as I was attracted to him and as much as I wanted it to work and I wanted it to be, I wanted him to be the one, I knew that that wasn't the way I was supposed to feel. So it wasn't even like, oh, this is God's will or this is the man that God has for me. I knew that wasn't the way I was supposed to feel which was a little bit of insecurity, a little bit of a lack of safety. And it was minor. It wasn't like a crazy red flag. It was like these minor little inklings of insecurity and of feeling unsafe. And I was like, I know this is not the way God has intended me to feel with my partner and the man who's going to cover, who's going to be the head of my home and the head of my family. This episode of the Refined Collective Podcast is brought to you by my very own free guide for single women, six tips to activate your dating life. Raise your hand if dating as a woman of faith in today's swipe right, swipe left culture has ever felt like a total struggle fest. Or maybe being single in our culture today feels overwhelming, lonely, discouraging, frustrating. And maybe if you're being really honest, it can even feel hopeless. Listen, single gal to single gal, I totally get it. But did you know that doing the same thing over and over again while expecting different results is known as the insanity cycle? Friend, it is time to walk into a freeing, exciting, and purpose-filled season of singleness. It's time to activate your dating life. I created a free guide for you, and by free, I mean zero dollars, called Six Tips to Activate Your Dating Life to equip you to shake things up in your season of singleness. You can grab it right now at bit.ly slash TRW dating tips. Now you will walk away knowing number one, the biggest mindset shift that will transform how you show up in your dating life. Number two, I'm going to teach you how to get unstuck in your dating life. And three, I will show you the number one thing you can start doing today that will radically change your season of singleness. And finally, the three things I wish someone would have told me 10 years ago about dating. You don't have to wander around for years like I did, insecure, uncertain, and discouraged about your dating or lack thereof life. So if any of this resonates with you, pause and go to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash T-R-W dating tips and grab your free guide. Again, that's bit.ly slash T-R-W dating tips. All right, let's get back to it. 
so in that moment, I just, I was really sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I said, you know what? I find God, I'm just going to do it your way. I've done it my way <laughs> all this time, previous marriage, all the dating. And I just decided I was going to go on a love fast. And so fast, F-A-S-T, because some people are like, love fast? What do you mean? No, like a fast. <laughs> and so it was a love fast. And I remember it was a December 31st. And I just, you know, at midnight was looking up at the stars and said, Lord, I will give you the first three months of this new year. And every time that I think about love, every time that I want to receive love, every time that I think hopeful or hopeless thoughts, every time that I miss an ex, every time that I'm mourning my divorce, anything that had to do mm -hmm. with the romantic love sphere, I was going to turn each of those thoughts over to God. And I was going to turn each of those hopes mm -hmm. and those desires to God. And so for three months from January to March 31st, I was not going to date anyone. I was not going to entertain a relationship or even a friendship, quote unquote, with anyone whom I found attractive. Anything that would lead toward that space, I knew I was going to surrender it. And if that person did come into my life, I was going to need to once again, cut it off. So lo wow. and behold, um, I end up going with a few friends on Valentine's Day weekend. We're like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? This sucks. Everyone here is like in love and we just, ugh, so gross. Let's go. <laughs> and so one of my really close girlfriends says, hey, let's go to Costa Rica. It's the same price from Miami to, you know, go to Costa Rica than to go to Orlando or do some other type of adventure. So I'm like, all right, whatever, let's just do it. And I go to Costa Rica and we go to a zipline tour and that's where I met my delicious husband. <laughs> I love that you call him my your delicious husband. Delicious. Everybody knows him as delicious on Instagram. So delicious. it's kind delicious. of crazy because one, this was right smack in the middle of my love fast. Two, the most un like the most random unprecedented scenario that you could ever think. And of course I'm like, heck no. I mean, first of all, I saw him up on that tree and I was like, what is that delicious thing up on that tree? All right, Hugo, you're on a love fast. Hello. What are you thinking about? <laughs> nope. Cancel that thought. Okay. But when I saw him, I remember being like, okay, crazy. He lives in another country. He's a tour guide, probably crazy disaster type of guy. But anyway, we end up like just connecting over 15 minutes and we're hanging out there with like, I'm hanging out with my friends and you know, one of my girlfriends has a Polaroid camera and she's like, Hey, excuse me, would you mind uh, taking a picture of us? And he's like, sure. Only on one condition. And he says, you need to take a picture of me and my future girlfriend over here. And I'm like, of oh course. my gosh, smooth operator. Of course he is. And so anyway, she ends up taking a picture of us and gives it to him, which by the way, I'm probably going to give you the picture. So if you want to add it to the show notes, so people can see um, you, yes, please send it. It is going in the show notes. We have to have it. This picture is hilarious. It's been all over, you know, like I always share it when it's our anniversary and those kinds of things. Cause I was wearing like what I call my clown socks. I was dressed so horrible. <laughs> I knew, I didn't know anybody. I was going through this like weird time. And so I was like, I don't, I don't care. Like I don't, I'm not interested in sh looking any particular way. So anyway, it's kind of a, an interesting, interesting and long journey, but the short end of it is we end up connecting a little bit further and I start to discover online, like, you know, we start talking on Facebook and he's really friendly, really nice, very respectful. But all of a sudden he starts getting into these conversations about God. And 
I didn't share really anything about God, but when I start looking, once he starts sharing things about God and how, you know, Jesus had entered his life and how he had changed his life, I start to get really curious. And when I start sort of like creeping up on his Facebook a little bit, I'm like, oh my gosh, he had like worship songs and he had like scriptures and he had all these different things for like months and actually for like a year or so. So I'm like, okay, this guy is like really on his own journey, on his own spiritual journey. And then I start to maybe think, oh my gosh, maybe this is a possibility. So that's when I actually had to cut him off because I realized I'm I'm getting interested. This guy's awesome. And so I literally had to tell him, listen, I cannot talk to you until April 1st and cut off the whole conversation and the whole thing. And wow. he and this was our first time actually having a Skype call when when we started talking a little bit more deeply. And he just looked at me and said, Where have you been all my life? Whoa. And that was like the scariest thing for me because I'm like, we've met for 15 minutes. This guy's just going to think I'm a, I'm a loony. He's just going to think I'm crazy and probably not going to take me seriously and just going to fade off the face of the earth. So when I told him I couldn't talk to him, he said, I completely respect that. And I want to support you in your time with God. Is it okay if I message you every day to let you know that I'm waiting for you and I'm praying for you? And I'm like, sure, I guess that, yeah, you know, that's fine. But I'm thinking in the back of my mind, that's going to last a week. Yeah. Girl, for the remaining month and a half, every single day, morning and nighttime, he would message me daily to let me know he was praying for me and waiting for me. And I never responded. What? Every single day. So April 1st comes along. We, my fast is over. We jump on a Skype call for the first time and we're like, obviously at this point, I'm like, oh my gosh, this guy's amazing. And, you know, I knew enough about him that I, that I knew he was great. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm not going to have a, a cyber relationship with a guy I've only met for 15 mm -hmm. minutes. So I tell him, you know, I would love to get to know you a little bit more. You know, at this point we've shared that we both like each other and that we'd like to explore it a little bit further. And it turns out during that time, he obviously he's in Costa Rica. I'm in Miami. My best friend becomes a flight attendant. So this is another example of how God works, right? And how we don't need to really like push things or try so hard. My best friend becomes a flight attendant at American Airlines. He's like, you get, my family doesn't travel. You know, you, I know you like to travel. Do you want to be my plus one? Do you want to be my beneficiary? And so all of a sudden I get travel benefits as if I was an employee for American Airlines and I'm able to travel for free whenever I want, however many times I want <laughs> So I'm like, it literally his, his benefits kicked in on March 31st. So wow. all of a sudden I can travel and I, and I tell him, I'm like, listen, I'd be willing to go back to Costa Rica and kind of get to know you a little bit more. He couldn't travel to the U S cause he didn't have a visa. So, um, you know, we decide on, uh, April 10th. And so we talk about it. We're really excited. Awesome. He has his own house in Costa Rica. So obviously I'm getting ready to go see him. And I tell him, listen, one more thing. I know I'm going to go hang out with you. And I know we haven't really talked much about this, but I'm not going to have sex with you. So if this is something you're wanting and you're expecting, I just want you to know you're going to be disappointed. So let's just get it out of the way right now. Mm. Once again, Kat, he looks at me and he's just like, seriously, Huguet, where have you been all my life? I've been asking God for the first time, not for a partner, but for a wife. Wow. And, and he's like, serious. And, and the crazy thing is we're just kind of getting to know each other. And he's already talking to me about wanting a wife. So it like, you know, for a woman, that's like every girl's dream. And you would think that's impossible to hear from like a guy that you like, but that's how God works. And so all of a sudden we're both just very honest with each other and we're so transparent and we're not afraid to just be like, we really like each other and just lay it all on the table. 
There's no games. There's no like, oh, I need to hold back. I need to say this. I shouldn't say that. Everything is just so honest and so raw. And so, you know, we end up, you know, I end up booking the flight. We're getting ready to do all that. He tells me one more thing that I need to do before you come to, to Costa Rica. He's like, I want to talk to your mom on Skype. I want her to know that her daughter is going to be cared for, respected, and represented while she's here. He's like, I know you're close to your mom and I know that she means the world to you. And so I want her to know that you're going to be safe. And so crazy. I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> what is happening? What is happening? And so anyway, all that to say, you know, I go to Costa Rica that first trip. He welcomes me with his family. We start, you know, our first night, he asks if we could just open scripture and just ask that God would reveal to us if this is time, if this time this is what he has for us, if this is the relationship he would have us pursue. And the rest is history. I mean, we end up by the third month of us dating, we both knew we wanted to be together. We both knew we wanted to get married. And here we are celebrating our fifth wedding anniversary with our 10 month old baby girl. We dated long distance for a year and a half. Um, I was going there every single month because I was only two hours away. And like I said, I had those travel benefits, but for that year and a half girl, every time I would go, it was like insane chemistry and tension and fire and like <gasps> all the things. And we were like, no, we're going to do things God's way. And we didn't wow. have sex until we got married. And girl, it's been the greatest sex of my entire freaking life. <laughs> wow. Okay. So let's talk about sex. And let's, let's, there's honestly, I have typed down like 3000 questions or not three, no, maybe like 12 questions that I want to <laughs> ask you of, as far as what you've shared so far. But I think there's, I'm so, well, I have not had sex yet mm -hmm. and I've been so curious, like if you've been married before and you, you know, you've had sex and then you get back onto the dating scene, like, were you like, were you having sex before yeah. your husband? Like, was it how, how, and when did you kind of decide, Hey, I'm going to abstain? Yeah. So my husband, my ex-husband was my first sexual partner when we were in high school. So, um, we had sex when I was 17 and then, you know, during all the years that we dated in high school. And then after that I dated several men or guys. So I had sex with numerous partners. Um, so when I decided to do, to, you know, have a relationship with the Lord and started to learn a little bit more, it wasn't initially like after I accepted Jesus into my life, there was still a little bit of that shift happening. So I was even in a relationship then that I was sexually engaged in. And so that was kind of like a, a transitional process. Well, as I got to know the Lord and how he sort of wanted, he designed us to experience sex and in, in marriage. And so mm -hmm. I would say that I abstained about a year into my relationship with mm -hmm. the Lord. So mm -hmm. that was that journey. So I didn't really have sex with the guys that I dated after my ex-husband, but a, a lot of the relationships were, I mean, they were still kind of intimate in different ways, like yeah. pulled around did different things. Uh, but it wasn't like actual, like I didn't actually have, um, intercourse with them. So it was an interesting thing though, because I feel like once you have had sex, it's even that much harder because you know what the experience is like. Although I will say it, it is completely, at least for women, it is a very intertwined emotional, physical, and spiritual experience because mm. 
with my ex-husband, I can honestly tell you, I don't think I ever fully experienced a orgasm. And as much as I was attracted to him and as much as I was like just sexually inclined and there were so many things that brought us together and I found him so attractive in so many different ways, not just physically. um, There there are a lot of like physiological things that sometimes uh, come into play, which is why I I find it funny that a lot of people are like, well, you know, you shouldn't buy that cow until you tried it, until you milked it a little bit, you know? Mm, And I find that that is so erroneous because you can even try the cow, you can taste the milk, you can do everything. And I'm so (laughs) in enamored by the whole concept or the whole story you're telling yourself about this relationship. And it's still not God's perfect design for you. And so with my ex-husband, even though I had, you know, had sex with him and all that stuff, like there was still so many things missing. There were so many parts, even physiologically missing that were like painful for me and just like not enjoyable versus with my current husband. It's just every part of it, every single piece of the puzzle just it's enjoy. It's really like a party. It's a, it's a celebration every time. And I know I can be free and I can enjoy every bit of it. So there are so many parts involved in it. And so whether it's the physical part, the emotional part, the spiritual part, really there, you, you will never be able to fully predict the type of man that you need or the type of man mm-hmm. that you're going to be sexually compatible with. Only God knows that. And I think that's why God was trustworthy for me at that point. And I said, I'm going to finally do it your way because everything I've tried has not worked. Yeah. And so when you say that this is the best sex of your life, I, why do you think that? Like why, what makes this different? I know you kind of referenced the physiological stuff, but could you maybe unpack that a little bit more or maybe like a little bit more tangible? Like why, why do you think that this married sex is better than all the other partners you've had? Yeah. I think I would start with the psychological part, which is that I feel a complete sense of safety. Mm -hmm. So my husband is someone that makes me feel 100% beautiful and worthy Mm -hmm. and enough in every moment, in every part of who I am from the crazy ways that I dress, because I don't even dress sexy. Like if you really think about it and you look at my pinata party every day, I don't dress to be (laughs) sexy or to flatter my form. I dress to feel joyful. And so even my clothing style, it's not really the most sensual or the most like sexually attractive to a man. And he still makes me feel sexy and beautiful. And I feel like I could be freely who I am without having to try so hard to get his attention. So from, from a psychological perspective, I feel a complete sense of safety uh, around him. And so then I think with the physiological part as well, you know, I'm sure, I don't know if you've talked about this in the podcast or not, but there's also external orgasm and internal orgasm. And Mm -hmm. so I've actually experienced both. And I think I had only experienced the external with any and every one of my previous partners from foreplay to actual intercourse. And with Mm -hmm. my husband, it's the first time I've actually experienced both. And so it's this mind blowing experience, (laughs) which I'm like, there is a reason why this is so sacred, because there's Mm -hmm. that physical connection, there's that emotional, there's there's that spiritual connection. And so that's why I feel like all those three parts just make sense when it's the right partner for you. So yeah, that's, I mean, that's from the physiological to um, psychological. So what would you say, because as as you're sharing this, I'm thinking of also, you know, I had Dr. Celeste Holbrook on my podcast and she's a Christian sexologist and Mm -hmm. her story with her husband is like the exact opposite. (laughs) Yeah. Well, she, you know, she waited until marriage to have sex and 
sex was so physically painful for her. Mm-hmm. And you know, she just thought, did I marry the wrong person? You know, I thought God would bless my sex life because I did it his way. And she had to kind of work through all of these things for it was several years before they actually had enjoyable sex. And now they have an incredible sex life. But I guess what I'm curious about is, you know, let's, let's talk about that first night where you have sex. What if it's not mind blowing? Like, what do you do, you know, and how do you, I love how you said that you feel so safe with him. And I think that's like the beauty of like that covenant of marriage of having sex within marriage. But I also just, I wonder about like what, what happens if, you don't have great sex. Like, do you feel like you've married the wrong person? Yeah. I'm really glad you asked that question because our wedding night was the worst. So (laughs) we actually, and I think it was all the pressure that led up to it because we shared so much of our journey with all of our close friends and the people who surrounded us. And actually I was very vocal about my journey on social media as well. So Mm -hmm. we shared that we were not having sex and that we were waiting until marriage. So there was so much pressure Mm -hmm. and I knew all the questions were we're going to come the next day or that following week. Like, so how was it? So how was it? You know? And so there's so much pressure around that night that like people are thinking about you and they're thinking about what you're doing. (laughs) It's just so awkward. And so our wedding night actually was terrifying. And I, I actually thought that exact thing. I'm like, oh my gosh, what have we done? Because there was so much sexual chemistry between us during our entire dating time. And he really like, I mean, he looked like he knew what he was doing, even when we would go out dancing and the way he would like touch me and the way he would kiss me. So I knew there was that chemistry there, but I was like, what the heck happened? And I think for both of us, there was sort of a sense of one intimidation to so much pressure of like the way we had to perform for each other that day, the nervousness of, oh my gosh, is this really happening because of all the leading up to. So it actually, not only was our wedding night the worst, but then like several days, it was like a little bit awkward just because that night had been so awful that I think we both got a little weird about it. And we're like, oh my gosh, is is this really, we did talk about it, which is the nice thing is that when you have also established that friendship, you can even laugh at those things together and, you know, really have the conversations. But it was a little bit awkward in in the beginning. I'm not going to lie. And so I know even when I experienced sex for the first time with my ex-husband, sex did hurt in the beginning for a pretty long time. So I think if you're going into marriage as a virgin, you want to make sure that you are expecting it not to be mind blowing in the beginning, just physically, you, your body's getting used to something different. You know, there are some painful parts, obviously your hymen is breaking or, you know, there's just so many different things that are happening physically, plus all the pressure and the emotional things things that are happening. So I would say definitely don't go into marriage thinking you're going to have mind blowing sex on day one. I would say go into it thinking maybe into like six months to like a year of really, really enjoying it because it's like anything you're training for. You're starting from scratch. You're getting to know some, you're riding a bike for the first time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, even I'm just thinking of my friends now who have sex outside of marriage. And one of the biggest things that they talk to me about is what if you can't develop sexual chemistry? You know, what if it never gets better? And, you know, my perspective, and I haven't tried this out yet, but even my perspective is that if you are with a person and you are committed for the long haul and you're committed to vulnerability and communication, that you can work through that. Mm -hmm. And even I, I had a situation where I was dating a guy and I was super attracted to him. And then we had our first kiss and I thought, whoa, this guy is not a good kisser. (laughs) 
And I just thought, and also I felt like, man, you know, I think at the time I was in my late twenties, I was like, we're way too old to not be good kissers. (laughs) And I kind of judged him, but I really liked him. And so we kept dating and over time it got so much better. And it wasn't just like, Oh, this guy isn't a good kisser. It was like, Oh, we have great chemistry now, but it just took time to build that. And so I just feel like, what would you say to the person who is like, I am so afraid that not only will sex be painful when I'm married, but that it's never going to get better. How do you make it get better? Yeah. I would say communication is going to be the key to getting better because that's why it's also important to establish that friendship. Because if there is that friendship, you can pretty much talk about anything, including these taboo topics and still feel like it's a natural progression and a natural um, sort of something you're working towards together as, as a team, right? So you want to think of, especially when you're thinking about somebody you want to marry, don't just think of somebody you're attracted to or somebody that you could see a really fun and exciting future with. Think of your best teammate. If life is this marathon that you're going to run together, who is going to be your best teammate? Who's going to help carry the weight with you? Who's really going to be alongside you? Who's going to see eye to eye with you on so many different things, right? And I remember that that concept changed my mind. And at the time I was actually dating someone else and I broke up with that guy. Cause I'm like, this isn't my teammate. This, this cannot wow. be my teammate. So think of when you think of marriage, think about who is this man that is going to be your perfect teammate. And so when you establish that friendship, you need to be able to talk about these things. So even with my husband now, so for example, he has a lot of strength. I call him little Hercules because he's pretty short. He's like maybe about two inches taller than me, but he's got this crazy strength. And so he doesn't understand. He's got like brute force and sometimes doesn't even know how strong he is. And so I think in the beginning too, when we started sort of engaging sexually, I had to be like, baby, can you, can you go like a little softer? Cause I'm very sensitive and my body's very, very sensitive. So I need gentle touch and I need sort of these gentle caresses. So I'd be like, baby, softer, softer. And so he, it was just like natural for me because I had this friendship with him that I could just tell him that and know that one, he wasn't going to get intimidated or feel like, Oh, am I doing something wrong? And sort of taking, you know, take it personal. And at the same time, I didn't feel ashamed that I had to tell him, you know, something awkward about our sex life or, you know, had to make a statement about it. So I think when you're able to talk about sex openly and sort of that intimacy space openly, it's going to get better because you can communicate to them what you want and they can communicate to you what they want. You can't expect to go in there and read their body like Braille. They need to be able to tell you what they like and, and vice versa. So communication is going to be huge. And so I would say, if you establish that openness and that space of vulnerability for them, they will in turn communicate back. And I think that's, what's going to be the healthiest thing, but one person has to establish it. So if he doesn't establish it, give yourself the freedom and the permission to do so and say, honey, you know what, can you go a little gentler there? Or, you know, even if it's like during oral sex or something or being like, can you, can you just be like a little gentler down there? Like, you know, and so a lot of times, like I just had to tell him like, you need to tone it down. And so sometimes I'll even like push his head and be like, slow, softer, please. (laughs) And he like laughs because he knows like we can even joke about it. But at the end of the day, like I feel the pleasure and he feels the confidence that he knows I'm actually going to be satisfied with what he's doing because I'm communicating what I like. 2020 is in full swing and I don't know about you, but I am here for it. I'm also here human to human to ask you for support. Help me friend to help you. The Refine Collective podcast is one of my most favorite projects that I have ever worked on in my career, but it is definitely a labor of love. 
We have quite a bit of hard cost each month from software and subscription services to my team who edit and produce the episodes to licensing music and running logistics for all things Refined Collective. Now, because of that, I want to invite you, yes, you, to join our Patreon community. Patreon is this incredible platform that helps listeners financially support their favorite podcasts. You can support the Refined Collective podcast for as little as $5 a month. And we made a bunch of fun different tiers that are jam-packed with free goodies and VIP access to our newest content. And you will be notified before anyone else about our upcoming live events. I'll also be going to you first to find out what questions you want answered and what topics you want covered moving forward. So in the midst of a wild year, I want to ask you, friend, if you'd be willing to link arms with my team and me and sharing some of the load and helping make the Refined Collective podcast the best it can possibly be. So if you want to learn more or sign up today, head on over to patreon.com slash the Refined Collective. Again, that's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash the Refined Collective. Thank you so, so much for being a part of this community. You can be honest and kind of bitchy, you know, like, you can be like, well, I'm just living my truth. I'm telling my truth. And you can also be honest and have your words clothed in grace. And it sounds like that's what you are. You guys both are doing is you're being honest and you're also being kind. You're not like, oh my gosh, get off me. You weigh so much. (laughs) (laughs) You're being honest and kind. And I think also you kind of touch on something of, I think there's this weird mentality in Christian culture that comes from a total misrepresentation or misunderstanding of Ephesians 5, where Ephesians 5 says, you know, wives submit to your husbands. And so I think so many Christian women and women in culture at large, we feel as though it has to be good for him. Like his pleasure is the top priority. It's the number one priority because like I'm supposed to be here serving him as opposed to what I believe is having a mutually reciprocal reciprocal relationship, which means that my orgasm is just as important as his orgasm. Absolutely. And being able to communicate that with kindness, but also saying, you know, Hey, like I want to please you, but like you also want to please me and being able to talk about that and you know, I just, I've heard the statistics too, that, uh, three out of four. So 75% of women don't orgasm through internal penetration. Mm -hmm. And one of my best friends, she thinks that is a total lie because she says, she's like, I wonder if really as women, we really took ownership over our pleasure and communicating that as opposed to being like, well, I'm just going to fake this orgasm so that like he can feel good about his ego and, and I don't need to orgasm because it feels good without it. Yeah. Whatever the narrative is. But like, if we as women took as seriously our pleasure as we took our partners and not in a selfish way, but just that, you know, the Bible says wife submit to your husband, but also says Jesus, like husband's, like love your wives, like Christ loved the church and Jesus died for the church. Mm -hmm. So there's like a mutual honor and a mutual submission and a mutual reciprocation. Mm -hmm. And it just has made me wonder if that's why and how sex can feel confusing for a lot of women of like, 
I wonder if a lot of women feel like, oh, I don't deserve to have good sex because I'm truly supposed to be here to serve him. What do you think about that? Well, I'm glad you bring that up too, because there have been moments where, for example, if we're either fooling around or fully in sex, like right in the middle of, of, of like a sex escapade. And if he senses that I am not feeling it, or he just sees that like, I'm a little off, he'll be like, baby, are you okay? Are you enjoying this? And, you know, whenever there has been a moment that it's either I've had pain or, you know, I mean, sometimes you're just like bloated and gassy and you're just like, it doesn't feel good right now, you know? So whatever the circumstance is. And so I remember him saying, well, let's stop. I mean, this is supposed to be a gift for both of us. Right. And so this is why I go back to this idea of a true teammate, because these are things that you discuss, even as you're dating. I know sometimes it feels even taboo to talk about something you haven't even done yet and to be like, well, what are we going to talk about when it comes to sex? But you can even have those conversations ahead of time and say, I want to have the openness that if something if, if I'm hurting or if something doesn't feel good or, you know, that we can connect in this way, can we agree that sex is a gift that is designed for both of us? And so if your partner feels that way and can completely agree with that, then you're in the right space in terms of that partnership and that, and that teammate relationship. But I think there's something interesting to be said about that topic when it comes to sex and, and, and men as well, because we, we know culturally, and we've seen a lot of scientific studies around that women receive love through affection and men receive love through sex, right? And those are sort of our love languages in terms of the genders. And so we automatically associate men feel love through sex. So we feel almost this mm-hmm. responsibility to make sure that they feel sexually satisfied in order for our man to be good and happy and taken care of, right? And so that's why we forget about ourselves and we think, oh, well, that's okay. Like that's not for women. And so I I think that's a complete cultural myth because I do believe it's a gift that God has given to us. There's a reason why women have the ability to experience orgasm externally and internally, which is something that men can't do. So we have a double whammy, you know, we have a double good. <laughs> and so I think you yes. know, there's obviously a hidden trigger there. There's obviously like a hidden treasure there, which is that internal orgasm. And I think there's a reason why that is designed in that way. And so when it comes to this idea of submitting to your husband, there's also that latter part that is husbands love your wives. And so part of husbands loving your wife is making sure your wife is also satisfied, also feeling good, also feeling taken care of. And so we sometimes shortchange ourselves to think, I just need to be affectionately loved. No, you need to also be sexually loved. You need to be everything loved because it is a complete package. It's a complete pie. You don't just we can't just compartmentalize the types of love that we're going to receive because marriage is a whole, a whole spectrum of things. And I think that's why the communication factor has to be in place and that friendship to talk about all these things. Yes. One of my girlfriends just today said, I want, I just want a best friend that I can have sex with. Totally. <laughs> I was like, yes, like that is what I'm talking about here. You want a best friend who also can be a lover. And with that, it's the, with your best friend, you can say anything with. And even I think, I don't know if you experience this in dating, but I kind of believe this concept of how you show up for one thing is how you show up for everything. Absolutely. And so if, if someone is a taker in bed, that's also going to show up in other areas of their life. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and if someone is generous, like it sounds like your husband is like, no, like I'm here for you. I want to serve you. Like if you're not in this, then let's stop, which I think is such a great example. And I just acknowledge him for that. I think that's how it should be. Yeah, delicious. But, <laughs> yeah, those are delicious. But I'm sure he also shows up in that generous way and kind in other areas of your relationship as well that you could probably see in dating as well. Like, Oh, yeah. like I, this is going to maybe be a weird example, but I remember I dated this one guy and it was just this terrible relationship. It was so toxic, but I was so hung up on him. Like I was like a moth to the flame with this guy. I just thought he was like the best thing since sliced bread. Mm. And we broke up for a long time. And in, in between that, I dated another guy who was, I mean, this guy treated me like a queen. I mean, it didn't matter if we were walking down the street or kissing. He was just like, how can I serve you? Like, <laughs> like how do you like to be kissed? Like, how can, what, what do you like in your coffee? I mean, yeah. it was like, I hung the moon or something. I was like, am I Beyonce? What's happening? <laughs> and I have never really been treated like that. And things ended up not working out with us, but I kind I took that with me. And then circling back around, I ended up dating that other guy, my ex again, the one who I thought was the best thing since sliced bread. And I remember the first time we kissed after not having kissed for several years, I was like, oh my gosh, this is all about you. Mm. And I could, I couldn't even tell you what it was that he did, but it was like, I had to taste and experience literally someone else's kiss before I realized, oh, wow, like this isn't a reciprocal relationship. And if it's not a reciprocal relationship in dating, it's not going to be a reciprocal relationship in marriage. In anything. Uh, right. And I just thought that was so interesting because I never would have known that unless I had had this other experience with this guy who wouldn't let me open a door who I didn't want me to lift a finger. And I felt like, wow, aren't I'm the woman. Aren't I supposed to quote unquote be doing that for you? And he's like, no, like I'm so, I want to love you. Like, let me love you. And that was just, that has definitely changed the way I've like moved forward in dating relationships. Yeah. And, you know, I think that also comes down to a lot of how the man feels about you as well, because I feel like when the man is really, I mean, I think we've all seen that movie. Like he's just not that into you, but like, I think I love that movie. (laughs) It's such a great movie, but I just think there's so much truth to when a guy is really that into you and you know, is at that place where he's getting to know you and is really falling in love with you. So much of his sense of pleasure and satisfaction comes Mm. from seeing the satisfaction in you. So for example, Mm. you know, I see that whenever Mr. Delicious is, you know, like there's something about the way he feels like confident in himself and like, you know, like kind of like puffs up his chest a little bit, like when he knows I'm satisfied or when he knows, even if it's like an act of service, even if it's not, it doesn't have to do with anything in the bedroom, but he does something for me. And I'm like, oh my gosh, baby, you're the best. Thank you. And I just like hug him and kiss him. Like he just feels so much satisfaction from doing something for me that has just brought me so much joy and so much pleasure. And so I feel like that's also a defining factor in terms of understanding how that man feels about you and how he sees the act of serving you. And so I feel like, granted, there are people that are just naturally selfish, but I think if a man is really more of just a taker, 
you can, it's a safe bet to say that that man is probably not completely in love with you, or is just not the type Mm -hmm. of man that is going to serve you throughout your marriage as a whole. So yeah, Yeah. that's a very great observation. And and in that, uh, just, I feel like what I want to say to myself, to you, to every woman and man is that you deserve to be in a relationship where the person that you are in love with loves you back. Yep. And I think I, I had, I was, it was Stephanie Mae Wilson. She's a relationship coach that was on my podcast a while back. And she said something like, ladies, like why is not the number one non-negotiable on our list that he likes us back. Right. (laughs) Like we will spend all this time trying to convince or jump through hoops or downplay that he's not as bad as, as other people are saying he is. And she's like, we got to stop wasting our time on guys who just aren't that into us because Mm -hmm. that just means that that person is not for me because I know that if God has a man for me, that that man kind of back to what we were talking to in the beginning of feeling like, man, am I too much, you know, like am I too much of a woman? Am I too much of a person? Like I will not be too much for my person. And And even how you said in the beginning, like, I can never say, do, or be the wrong thing to the right person. And to just trust that, like trust that like the God image in me is in the, all the unique ways that God has created me, all the unique ways that God has created you, you get of like your, your little pinata metaphor (laughs) of like the right person. That's going to just be like the best thing for that person. And just to remember that and trust that and realize like, I don't have to settle for less than that. Right. And, you know, I think that's why it's so crucial to truly have such a deep rooted relationship and intimacy with God, because it can't just be lip service. It can't just be, oh, yeah, I know that God has someone for me. You have to truly deeply know and understand that statement that you can never say, do or be the wrong thing to the right man or to the right person. And when that goes from head knowledge to heart heart understanding and like a complete hard wiring, you are entering into a space of, I don't want to say absolute confidence, because I don't even know if that will ever even exist, but into a place of steadfastness where you're not shaken and you're not falling for just any guy that just comes around because you have a confidence in knowing that you do not need to change yourself for that person, that you do not need to second guess every decision you make, every single thing you say, am I going to, is he going to like this? Is this outfit too much? Is this like, you won't second guess anything because there's this, there's this sense of confidence, which is what's going to lead to that place of peace that I was saying, that sense of safety. You will never feel safety in a long-term relationship that you started being somebody other than yourself. So if you started the relationship dressing like somebody else or being a little extra sexy or being a little extra witty or trying a little extra hard, you will never feel a sense of safety once you enter a relationship with that man long-term because you're going to have to keep up that facade. Wow. Wow. And so that's, that's a really important thing to remember from the get-go. And I think if that's true, and I think it is, then what freedom, what freedom just to show up as myself yeah. and show up and like, you can't mess it up, you yeah. know, like you just can't mess it up. You oh, can't. And I think it's really hard to be, if you don't experience it, I think it's really hard to conceptualize, which is why once again, it comes down to really trusting God and not just saying you trust God, but really trusting God that that exists because 
it's not going to, you're not going to come across it a million times in your life. You're probably going to come across it once, twice, maybe. I don't know. But the fact is usually when you come across it, you marry it and that's it. <laughs> so, that's why, so that's why it seems like this myth because you're like, well, it's happened for everybody else, but I don't know if it's going to happen for me because you really, you, once you experience it, you lock it down and you're like, this is mine. And so that's why it feels like this mystery or like this myth that just kind of feels like somebody knows the trick to, but I never figured it out. But the truth is you understand that when you can step into this place of that freedom and that understanding of, I will never be too much of anything for that person, you completely enjoy the whole process. There's no overthinking. There's no acting. There's no pretense. You just show up exactly as you would for anything else in your life. And like you said, even in the, in the bedroom, you're like, if they're a taker in the bedroom, they're probably a taker everywhere else. Well, the same thing goes for you. If you show up naturally to the relationship, you're going to show up naturally to all the other areas in your life. And so if you want to be authentic in all the other areas of your life, why would you be less authentic in your romantic life? That's probably the most important decision you're going to make for the rest of your life. And the most intimate person that you're going to share with the rest of your life. So wouldn't you want to establish that from a foundation of truth and from a foundation of honesty and of being a hundred percent yourself? I mean, that's the greatest freedom you could ever give to yourself and to your partner. Come on, girl. Say it louder for the people in the back. Gosh, that's so good. Yes, girl. Gosh, you got, thank you so much for just bringing your heart and also being so honest with your experience and your relationship with Mr. Delicious. <laughs> and I just, I knew you were the one I wanted to have this conversation with. And I just am so, so grateful that you were down for the ride. And I just adore your heart. I adore your colorful heart. (laughs) I love you so much, Kat. Thank you so much for having me. and Also for giving us as women a space to be able to share these conversations and to really talk about the taboo topics that in most spaces and spheres is really um, not necessary, not welcome, just not necessarily a space of freedom. And you're giving women the freedom to talk about these things. And within a sphere of that God space and just giving people the opportunity to share truths and still do it God's way and feel connected to one another. So thank you for this podcast and for everything that you do for women. Oh, thanks girl. Thanks girl. And I know that you are up to some really cool stuff and you're about to launch something new, I believe. And so can you just let us know I mean, if you want to tell us what you're launching, it might already be out by the time this episode is live. So how can we follow along with you? How can we follow along with your launch and all the things. Cool. So one of the greatest things that I love to talk about and share with women is how to live a joyful life um, in spite of circumstances, not because of them, right? Because circumstances happen to all of us and they're good and they're bad, but it's really our perspective, especially how we hold on to God's hand. So um, I'll also share with you for the note, for the show notes, if you want my radical joy toolkit. And so I talk about the things that are, um, that are basically joy drains and how you can jump into the joy train. And so I'll give that to you and for your listeners so that they can get that toolkit if they want it. Um, And also they can follow me on Instagram, which is dysfunction mag. And it's kind of a funky spelling, but you can definitely include that in there for them to check it out. And what I'm going to be launching in the next few weeks is the radical woman roadmap, which is basically a coaching program in which I'm helping women navigate a lot of these taboos, a lot of these fears, and really step into a place of freedom and fearlessness into what God has called them to do to live it fearlessly, to live it authentically, and to really be able to do it from a place of joy. So I'm really excited to launch that. And I think a lot of women have been waiting for something like this. It's taken me a little bit of time, but I was busy having a baby. So (laughs) 
You had your hands full. A yeah, little bit. The baby and are delicious. That's right. <laughs> well, that, and how can people find that roadmap? Where do yeah. they go for that? So they're going to be able to find it on radicalwomenroadmap.com and then also through the magazine. So if they go to dysfunctionmagazine.com, um, there will be links on there. There'll be all kinds of cool features on there where they'll be able to find it. And I'll probably be promoting it through numerous spaces yeah. in the social media sphere. So if they follow on Dysfunction Mag on Instagram, they'll be able to see it there. So yeah, we'll be promoting that through all our different avenues. Amazing. I love it. Well, I cannot wait to see it. I cannot wait to chat with you again. And yeah, this was amazing. Yes. Thank you so much. I love you. Hey, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Refined Collective Podcast. If you are new here, maybe you've listened for a long time and there's topics, questions, comments, concerns that you have about what we're up to follow us on Instagram, The Refined Woman. Send me a DM and I will get back to you and let me know what you want to hear about. Let me know what you want to talk about. And I would love to make that happen for you. Have such a fabulous day. (laughs) Bye.